Maybe nobody ever saw themselves completely objectively. Every self-image needs a flattering mirror or two. Victor Laval, The Devil in Silver. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Devin. And today we're going to be talking about the insanity and craziness of the horror genre by talking about asylum horror. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash books in the freezer. Happy listening. So, Devin, our Books in the Freezer book of the month this month is Walkers by Graham Masterton. Uh-huh. How are you liking it so far? Uh, admittedly, I'm only a few chapters in. I mean, same. Um. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I was, I, I'm not quite sure what I was expecting from it, but I'm, I'm, I'm liking it so far. How about you? I, I have thoughts um, that we will share <laughs> on our Patreon live show that we do at the end of every month, right? That'll be on the 31st. We all get together and talk about the book um, in hindsight, have some discussions, Q&A. Yeah, I got into just full-on spoilers, talk about you know every part of the book so no holds barred uh we'll still we still have to figure out the time for that just a time that works for the most people for that but that will be on sunday march 31st for patreon supporters at the three dollar level and above so see you there housekeeping out of the way let's talk about some uh, asylums stuff all right so this is actually a topic that has been requested i want to say at least a few times i would imagine yeah it was, it was one of the biggies that people were asking for. Um, but while doing like my reading for it, I did find that there's a few kind of plots that these stories can take place. And I don't know if you found the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the asylum itself is is a trope in just storytelling in general. I mean, you find it in film and, and writing as well. So, yeah, there's there's only so many different ways you could tell that tale. I found like one that like one of the big fears that I think that is tapped into is loss of control and wrongly being put in an insane asylum where you believe you do not belong there and everything is out of your control and there's really no way for you to prove your sanity. So it's kind of the same type of fear as with possession horror, but this time is it is, you know, your setting and external factors. It, it ties into the same kind of feeling you'd get in terms of being a, like, a, like a prison story, mm-hmm. except for the asylum is, is more of a plot device because people within an asylum are not there by choice or not there because of something they've done. It's something, you know, within their own minds. So you don't know if, you know, it's the really wrongly put in there or if they think they are 
and what they see it, it brings the unreliable narrator to the front too as well yeah that is something while you're reading it and especially like in these stories they're usually told in first person and you yourself start to you know doubt whether the narrator does truly belong there and maybe what the doctors are saying has some merit and then moving on from that you have the uh, haunted asylum the um like in the case of our book of the month pick this month walkers Mm -hmm. uh you have the former asylum that's been converted into something else but you know the the place has a history that's coming back and affecting the present just bad energy lingering in the area and like haunting the ground stuff like that Mm -hmm. like Um, old patients getting payback for abuses yes or old old doctors that were abnormally cruel still lingering there to inflict their malice upon the present day occupants yeah. Also, one that I didn't think was as prevalent, but actually showed up in like two of the books I read was like, there is a creature hiding in the asylum. <laughs> that is like, everyone is keeping it a secret for some reason. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, this was not like a trope I was expecting, but okay. <laughs> I will admit I have not come across that in any of the books I've read in preparation for this episode. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's again, the asylum makes a really terrific kind of plot device for for that kind of story where they're okay there's a creature in the asylum your characters are in an asylum being treated for a mental illness so you don't really there in terms of the world outside that particular uh, institution they can't get help they can't get anyone taking them seriously because you know they're in an asylum which is um makes it that much more of a tense situation when there is like a lingering creature that's preying upon them. I will say like when I personally think of like asylum horror type stuff, I immediately think of like a more Victorian or like early 20th century setting where like people are getting like lobotomies or doctors are testing out these like cruel therapies that they thought would work. But the books that I read only one kind of took place in that era and the other two were more modern day like psych hospitals for the listeners that are also listening to the lore podcast with Aaron Mankey Mm -hmm. um, you find a a common thread through there too is like you said the older the further you go back the more primitive the treatments were for things like mental illness so you do you get a lot of these horror stories where it's very difficult to see the difference between torture and treatment based on you know looking at on a modern day lens so, so yeah, you generally find the more um, striking and the more visceral kind of story when you place it in a, you know, even as far back as Victorian kind of mm-hmm. institution. Because, again, the their treatments are so brutal based on, you know, how we look at treating mental illness these days. And how it was just viewed in general. Two of the stories I read did have a little bit of a feminist angle, and that is because like women were often locked up and could be locked up for basically no reason because during that era they were just considered the property of their husbands, and you know they really did not have a lot of agency in that decision. Yeah, that's that's an unfortunate part of our our past where like a woman 
just behaving inappropriately. I mean, it could even just be like speaking out of turn. There's a whole, I know there was a list going around of like reasons you could be admitted. And it was like basically for not not adhering to Victorian social standards and speaking out of turn and getting too excited and anything that rocked the boat of you know normal victorian society at that time if you go back to even less than a century ago you look at women like as i said if they behave differently or they act out of turn and it coincides with some kind of like negative event happening then it gets tied to them like they caused it somehow therefore they get treated and they get put away and it's just deplorable really when you think about it I mean, yeah, women got lobotomized not that long ago. Yeah. So again, that's a very common thread you're going to find throughout throughout this entire subgenre. There was a book I wanted to talk about, but the stint in the asylum in the plot would have been a spoiler, unfortunately. (laughs) But the book I wanted to talk about did kind of go into this a little more, but that'll be for another day. (laughs) Maybe a book club pick. Maybe a book club pick. (laughs) Okay. So what about movies? Is there any movies that fit into this asylum horror subgenre? There's numerous movies that's going to fit into this. Any favorites? Um, My absolute favorite, I can't talk about. Okay. Because I'll be mentioning it during the Chilling Obsession. <laughs> <laughs> but I will bring up one of the best ones of all time, which is the third Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Mm-hmm. Is that your favorite in the franchise? Oh, God, yes, by <laughs> far. Dream Warriors is heavily, heavily, heavily influenced me as a horror fan and as a writer myself like again not not to plug myself or anything but a big thing of what i'm writing now is heavily inspired by what was set up in dream warriors um in the world that i made so yeah um this is the third part of the nightmare series takes place in an asylum and it's the last of the elm street kids supposedly you know not counting there's like five other movies but the last of the Elm Street kids still can't sleep and they're being treated for their insomnia and their night terrors and Freddy's just preying upon them within that asylum. And, oh yeah, it's... Yeah, got got baby Patricia Arquette and baby Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. And, okay, this is a side story, but when I was in high school, I took a college tour of the UCLA campus and as we were touring the campus, the guy pointed and he's like, that clock tower there... That was in, I forget which Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I was like, it's the third, the third one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's one of the best kills in the series, too. The marionette one. Yeah. The guide wasn't even interested. He was like, I guess. And I'm like, so cool. (laughs) He is lucky I wasn't there. I would have been so angry. So, so angry. How about you? You have any particular favorites? Um, Well, one I just watched recently that... I think it's put on this list a lot that I I saw a lot and I've heard people talk a lot about is Session 9. Have you seen that? Actually, I have not. Okay. So this was 2001 and it follows an asbestos cleanup crew and they are tasked with cleaning up the remains of this like giant mental hospital. What I liked about it was that it really focuses on like the degradating like relationship between everybody on this cleanup crew and everyone kind of starts turning on each other, which, you know, like my favorite things. And um, like there's a one of the guys, which, okay, I have to bring up because they took this bid. And so the people wouldn't go with another company. They said they would do it in less time. And they ended up saying, like, they can get this done in a week. This is a giant building. The crew is, like, five guys. 
But for some reason, one of the guys goes down into the basement and finds these old interview tapes interviewing this woman who committed a crime and suffers from um, DID, dissociative identity disorder, or multiple personality disorder. And he just becomes like obsessed. And I'm like, there was five of you. You were supposed to clean up this giant thing in a week. And I was getting a little stressed out. I'm like, why are you wasting so much time? Why is everyone taking these long lunches? <laughs> but other than that, uh, really good. I would definitely recommend picking that one up if you haven't seen it. I, I concur. Um, like I said, I haven't seen Session 9, but that's one that continually gets brought up in the conversation. Um, and I've heard, very heard good things about it. Yeah, baby David Caruso from CSI Miami. <laughs> <laughs> and then one that I haven't seen, uh, but I remember it being talked about a lot when it came out in 2003 because it was like Halle Berry in a horror movie. It was Gothica, but that's another one where like a psychiatrist wakes up as a mental patient and like doesn't know why she's there and is trying to get out so again in that subgenre of being wrongly put in a mental asylum yeah um i don't remember a lot of gothica but i, I saw it in theater i do remember seeing it in theater because that's another one it's Halle berry it's horror oh my god i need to see this yeah um i remember liking it but don't ask me anything about the plot at this point because i haven't watched it since in terms of um asylum horror yeah that's that's another one that's like one of the mainstream ones that come to mind um one another one that goes kind of i guess a little overlooked unfairly would be the second hellraiser movie the one that takes place right after the first one it takes place in an asylum oh my gosh that's right i totally didn't even think of that (laughs) i was gonna make a joke about i'm like oh the first hellraiser has like 15 minutes in a mental asylum (laughs) (laughs) yeah no the second one is really where pinhead and cenobites really ramp up and you see what like that whole dimension is capable of yeah and uh yeah like hellraiser 2 that was that's a great one as well for the genre that's the only Hellraiser sequel I've seen. I, that's the only Hellraiser sequel you need to see. Okay, that's what I've heard, <laughs> honestly. I like Bloodline. I think it's the third one where it's like it starts off in the far future and then goes back to where the Lament configuration was created. And then like uh, an ancestor of him, like it's it shows a family line that in a three different time periods. It's kind of interesting, but it's really contrived. I wouldn't recommend it. All right. all right should we talk about some books uh yes yeah sure yeah it sounds good (laughs) really good guess i don't know what's this podcast (laughs) Um, so the first book i want to talk about is the devil in silver by victor laval this is about a man named pepper who unknowingly like assaults like three police officers only he doesn't know they're police officers because they aren't wearing their uniforms anyway so on a technicality and because they aren't getting paid overtime they decide to instead drop him off at a mental hospital right outside of queens because there's a loophole where like while he's awaiting to hear back from this he um he gets put on a mandatory like 72 hour stay as a patient And so he gets put there on a technicality. He's really only supposed to be there for a mandatory three-day observation period. And so he's, you know, telling himself, like, I'm only here for three days. Like, I just got to make it through these three days. But while he is there, he uh, learns that there is a creature-looking person with, like, a, a bison head that 
comes into the patient's rooms at night and he and several other patients are convinced that this is actually the devil that lives in this asylum and comes and torments them. And so he kind of gets drawn into this big conspiracy with the other patients. And as you can probably guess, it ends up being a little more than three days that he ends up at this mental asylum. <laughs> yeah, sounds oh like Oh my it. gosh, that scene killed me. But what I really liked about this book is that it is a little slower. I think a lot of people will argue whether this is actually horror, even though it does have the devil aspect, because it is more of a literary social satire. And Victor Laval is really talking about how the system is broken, and how mental patients and these institutions get to get treated and get funded. And what I really liked is that he treated all of this, you know, very sensitive subject with a lot of nuance. No one was ever fully villainized. Like there's these, you know, overtired, underpaid, underqualified workers sometimes dealing with, you know, much too heavy of a workload, trying to input data that, you know, doesn't into a system that like doesn't cooperate with them. Like everyone is frustrated. And I thought it was just very well done and very well thought out. Um, I will say it's a lot more room temperature and I think like most horror that deals with like capital I issues it's one of those things where like the real horrors supersede the supernatural horrors in this case and just a great work in making these great three-dimensional characters that are fully fleshed out and have feelings and that you 100% care for the writing is really good I will say it switches like perspectives a lot like there's a part where he goes into the perspective of like a rat that lives on the fourth floor. <laughs> and I was like, wait, am I am I reading a story from the perspective of a rat right now? <laughs> Is this where the story's going? Um, so it's a little experimental in in that angle. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. Uh, so that is The Devil in Silver by Victor Laval. Yeah, Victor Laval. He did the Ballad of Black Tom, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. That's why the name looked familiar to me. All right. So for my first pick... I am going to talk about 7X by Mike Wetch. Wetch. Um, I swear I've looked up how to pronounce this name and it is nowhere to be found. So I'm not sure. So I'm going to say Wetch. W-E-C-H. And since we all know that I am horrible at synopsis, I'm actually just going to read the bulk of the uh, uh, blurb for the story for you guys. Freelance investigative reporter Eddie Hansen gets a tip on a missing death row prisoner, Annette Dobson, known as the SIDS killer. Eddie adamantly believes Dobson's execution was staged and that she was secretly shipped to a behavioral health center in a remote location outside a small town of Dell City, Texas. With the opportunity to break the story, Eddie voluntarily commits himself into the asylum. His journals, video diary, and recordings leave a trail of breadcrumbs into a series of radical experimental procedures conducted on patients without their consent. But as Eddie dives deeper into his investigation, he is forced to confront his own demons, becoming an unwilling participant in the asylum's paranormal rehabilitation experiment. So, this story clearly caught my attention for the biggest reason of all and my main reason to ever read any piece of writing ever it's epistolary i love epistolary i will always love epistolary yeah you're a sucker for epistolary (laughs) i have read ya romance because someone told me it was done in epistolary form i love epistolary so for those unfamiliar epistolary is when it's when a story is written in uh, journal entries letters audio logs things like this there's something just i don't know like 
I'm I'm a big fan of first person uh, perspective when reading stories in general, whether they're horror or not. And I find Epistolary is like the next level up from that. You get really into it. You get really. I find it's really immersive into the story. So when you're following Eddie and looking into what's going on at this uh, this health center and all the fascinating things he uncovers, um, you're really there in the moment. Like it's as if you're reading in the newspaper. It's really happening, kind of thing. That's that's again the the strength of this format of writing. So uh, this is the author's uh, debut novel. He's an indie author as well. But yeah, like I said, the the real strength of this, and not not to harp on it too much, is is the format in which it's written in. It's one of my favorite, and I think it really lends itself strongly to horror. Horror told in epistolary form to me is it's the be all end all. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> so I'm I'm a little biased on that. Um, in terms of temperature rating, I would probably put it as a a chilled room temperature. Okay. I guess not not quite in the fridge, but you know. Getting there. And yeah, that was 7X by Mike Weech. All right, the next book I'm going to talk about is a YA novel that I think was mentioned in our previous uh, YA episode, but just fit in this episode too perfectly that I had to pick it up and read it. And that was The Dead House by Don Kurtigich. And Devin, this is an epistolary novel. Yeah. This is told through diary entries, police interviews, newspaper clippings, and uh, recordings of sessions with a psychiatrist. And so this is about an incident that happened when Elbridge Highburn down there was three people killed and one student carly johnson disappeared so you're reading this a few years after this has happened this whole thing has kind of taken on this urban legend kind of feel and so it's this big investigation to what actually happened there are diary entries from a caitlin who claims to be carly's twin she only shows up at night she's part of carly who has did or dissociative identity disorder People often refer to it as multiple personality disorder. So this was very interesting. I was a little concerned about how that specific thing was going to be portrayed. But uh, looking into it, Don Kurtigich does have what I think is like an immediate family member who has DID. And so she did um, get into that a little more in detail. Uh, So this was really interesting, just getting like the two different perspectives and what is happening and the way all the different parts of it came together I know I heard from a lot of people that the physical book for this is really good and the way it's laid out is very interesting I did this as an audiobook and I was kind of bummed out at first because I was like oh like this is one of those books that has those like really cool layouts but um the audio performance on this was really good and it actually I think won an audio award for the um male and female narration in this it was just very well produced and a really good YA novel definitely had its creepy points and very interesting kind of working backwards it it kind of goes like back and forth in time and like what people know and what the newspapers knew at the time and what was happening and really dissociative identity disorder and how it manifests itself I will say like the psychiatrist in this did not give good advice at certain points which okay I don't know if you've ever watched the Wired series where they have like experts uh watch like a movie clip so they have like you know someone who's a surgeon watch clips from like surgeons in like Grey's Anatomy or like 
movies. I want to see that, but with psychiatrists, because I'm currently watching The Sopranos. And I'm like, I don't think a psychiatrist is allowed to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And I kept thinking that to this. I'm like, I don't think think you're allowed to do that, actually. So that is my pitch for Wired. Um, If you could get a psychiatrist and add that to your YouTube series, I will be here waiting. Um, (laughs) Anyway, ratings-wise, I will say this is... Room temperature with some fridge moments. Very good. Very enjoyable. I will say also a good read on audio. I've heard a great read as a physical book. That is The Dead House by Don Kurtigich. I love how you managed to fit a plug for the wire in there. No, wired. (laughs) Oh. Like the magazine wired. (laughs) Yeah. I actually really thought you said the wire. I was like, how does this tie into the wire? But um, yeah, well, I mean, it, it's epistolary. It, it's epistolary, which means I need to read this book. Yeah, you do. All right, I'll add it to the list. So my next offering is another indie title. Uh, this is by S.E. England, and it's The Father of Lies. This is the first book in a trilogy. I have not read the other two books yet, but that is another thing on the list. Um, Father of Lies is about Ruby, who is the most violently disturbed patient ever admitted to Drummer's Gate Asylum, high on the bleak moors of northern England. With no improvement after two years, Dr. Jack McGowan finally decides to take a risk and hypnotizes her with terrifying consequences. Horrific dark force is now unleashed on every member of the medical team as each in turn attempts to unlock Ruby's shocking and sinister past. Who is this girl, and how did she manage to survive such evil? Set in a desolate ex-mining village where secrets remain secrets, intruders are hounded from their homes and no one is talking. All paths eventually lead to a haunted mill, the heart of darkness. And the father of lies. <laughs> Again, full disclosure, this was actually one I I didn't read for this episode. It was one I read a while back when I first started getting back into uh, reading horror and trying to find indie horror. And yeah, I will upfront say that I have a few issues with the way the ebook was formatted. There's particular moments that really um, reminded me that this wasn't necessarily done by like a major publishing house, but the story, the characters, the execution itself and the narrative was actually done really well. I really wish I did get around to the other two books and in light of this episode and bringing Father of Lies back into my, uh, my, on my radar, uh, I probably will get to the other two books now, but yeah, it's not a slow burn by any means. It's a fast pace. Um, it keeps you engaged. It keeps you invested. And if I remember this correctly, this was actually one of my more, more favorite reads of my early return to reading as a pastime in terms of temperature. It teeters into the fridge, maybe, maybe more so, f- more closer to fridge than room temperature. But uh, it's somewhere there in between, like like a lot of, a lot of uh, the things I say. It's a really good example of, you know, how good powerful storytelling can kind of make you forget about you know technical things that may be flawed or imperfections in the book itself. So that was Father of Lies by S.E. England. I've seen this as an audiobook on Hoopla. Interesting. So my next book is a little bit of a stretch. (laughs) (laughs) But just work with me here because I sunk like 500 pages into a book that I did not enjoy and could not wholeheartedly recommend. So (laughs) instead, I am going to recommend Alice by Christina Henry. This is a dark retelling of the Alice in Wonderland story. And you might be asking, how does this fit into this episode? I'll tell you, because Alice wakes up in a mental hospital. Um, 
after she spends almost a decade there. She has vague memories of a tea party and a white rabbit. Her neighbor, Hatcher, is convinced there is an evil monster named the Jabberwocky in the asylum. You get it? Her her neighbor is Hatcher, and he's in an asylum. Yeah. The Mad Hatcher, we, Mad Hatter. Uh, I'm, I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> the Jabberwocky. Yeah, like the poem. So the hospital burns down, and her and Hatcher escape, and they believe the Jabberwocky now has been released, and... Hatcher has kind of a thing where if the Jabberwocky is near, he goes into a trance and they're trying to get back to the White Rabbit. Uh, The way that this thing is set up is that there's like the new city and the old city. Alice's family was pretty wealthy and they're from the new city. And kind of the whole idea is that the new city built up all this nice stuff and kind of pushed all the riffraff and all the crime into the old city. And so they go down into the old city to find the White Rabbit and It is interesting the way it is laid out. I will say all of the trigger warnings for rape and sexual assault because there is a lot of it. So as they go into the old city, the old city is kind of ruled by these five bosses. And you start getting characters from Alice in Wonderland. So, you know, one of the bosses is the walrus and the caterpillar. And her and Hatcher are kind of on this revenge adventure. It is very bloody, very gruesome. And uh, yeah, like I said, got some strong content. So a warning for all. So this is like a um, very adult reimagining of Alice in Wonderland. Yes. Okay. Yeah, reimagining, I guess, would be a lot better word than retelling, I guess. But yeah, it's like a whole, a whole, it's work, it reworked the whole <laughs> whole idea yeah it's not telling the same story but it is it's taking the characters and core concepts and making its own narrative out of it so yeah it's it's a reimagining and putting in a different setting Mm -hmm. i like that yeah and this does go on i just finished this so i know this is the first in the series and the next one is called the red queen yeah so it was very interesting kind of like a very dark with like fantasy elements and like i said a lot of a lot of people get murdered i don't know if you know this hatcher uh has has a hatchet and he uses it oh god fyi (laughs) a lot of people get throat slashed in this and it's not a comedy they play this straight up no it's it's straight up (laughs) oh wow okay that sounds awesome (laughs) so that so for that reason and just kind of for the strong content warning i'm putting on it I'm going to say fridge fridge, fridge okay. for this. And that is Alice by Christina Henry. There is a lot of retellings, a lot of reimaginings uh, these days. This one sounds quite intriguing, actually. I'm not actually that big a fan of like the Alice in Wonderland mythos, but that's I like this. Yeah. Alice takes on like the dark seedy underbelly of the old city. Yeah. Which brings me to my last pick. Um, this one I was kind of on the fence about going with. Um, but then I realized that although, yes, when I was a kid, this was like really big into in the zeitgeist, um, the film adaptation was almost 30 years ago now. Was it? 91. That's, it that's the year I was born. How dare you say almost. That is almost 30 years though. My... <laughs> it is 20, <laughs> 27, 28 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so the adaptation of this came out roughly 30 years ago so for the benefit of our younger listeners who may not have been around (laughs) during this time i'm going to talk about a book i read years ago by thomas harris called the silence of the lambs this is one of the primo 
like everybody knows about it kind of stories um, within the horror genre. It's a the film adaptation is one of the movies that I wasn't allowed to watch as a kid. The VHS cover was intimidating to me because my parents would not let me look at it because they were so horrified of Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of Hannibal Lecter. But again, this was 30 years ago, so if you are not familiar with it, Silence of the Lambs is the second book in a series. Um, it, so it follows the FBI agent Clarice Starling um, as she is trying to track down the serial killer named Buffalo Bill who is stalking women and has a number of victims under his name already. Um, and she's trying to get to him before this most recent girl he took ends up becoming a corpse. Uh, she has to she has to speak and work with one of the most brilliant antagonists in literature of the last 40 years, uh, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, known as Hannibal the Cannibal. He is, again, genius level IQ. He is someone who knows Buffalo Bill and offers to help Clarice um, basically track him down, but all the while playing this like psychological game with her to you know get to know her and just like the, the whole book from beginning to end is a psychological trip i will admit that it's been a while since i've read it and a lot of my memories now i think maybe overlapping with the film adaptation as well so i'm not gonna go too much into the specifics of it you know in case you do decide to go read the book the writing in it is incredible um the characters are timeless like the hannibal lecter is one as i said one of the greatest antagonists that exists within fiction at this point in time. So, I mean, we would be remiss not to mention Silence of the Lambs talking about an asylum horror. Um, in terms of temperature rating, I am going to put the Silence of the Lambs in the freezer because, again, you get into the story, you get invested. You, Hannibal can get into your own head just by reading. Like He's so well-written, so well-articulated in everything he does, and, and everything he does is so deliberate that... Yeah, if you find yourself immersed in a story getting into this, it could really mess with you a little bit. <laughs> it's great. I love it. Um, so I would, I would put Silence of the Lambs in the freezer. And if you are one of the few people who have not heard of this, um, of anything I've recommended, this is the one I'd recommend to go read. Well, Clarice, have the lambs stopped screaming? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the worst case scenario... Get the movie. The movie is a best picture. <laughs> it's not even that it won the, the best picture award. It's that it's still people look at it as like this, again, masterpiece of, of uh, cinematography. And Anthony Hopkins being Hannibal, that is just acting at its finest. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> <laughs> do I say that every time like, I drink a Chianti? Yes, I do. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> ready to talk about chilling obsessions um yep let's do it one i want to talk about is one that just got dropped on shutter i remember when this was airing on amc what <laughs> sorry I, before i realized it was on shutter i was gonna be like let me guess your chilling obsessions on shutter isn't it steph <laughs> shut up <laughs> anyway shutter, shutter please sponsor us um hey shutter <laughs> Alright, go ahead. Um, so my obsession was recently dropped on Shutter. I remember when this was airing on AMC and all of the people, like the majority of the people I follow on Twitter are, you know, into horror or a part of the horror community somehow. So all of these people were watching it live on AMC and I was a little jealous. So I was really happy when it all finally dropped on Shutter and I was able to see it. And that is Eli Roth's History of Horror. So this is a multi-episode series where he... 
talks about different subgenres in horror cinema. And I think the best part of this is just all of the people that he got to talk about all of the different things. So the slashers is like a two-part episode and like exorcisms, monster horror, and just the people he got. He got Stephen King and Joe Hill. He got like Quentin Tarantino, uh, Tippi Hedren, who was the star of The Birds. And, um, and then like a lot of people that I thought were kind of random, like Jack Black. But um, when you look at it, it's kind of like people that he has kind of recently worked with or has had some kind of a working relationship with. Because, you know, Quentin Tarantino, they did Inglorious Bastards. Jack Black, like Eli Roth, directed uh, the house with the clock in its walls. So it's kind of all people that either are big in the horror community or that he's worked with. Also, um, Tanana Reeve Du, who we've mentioned on this podcast before and who was also a big contributor to horror noir. Um, I think she teaches a course, I think at UCLA or USC on, um, horror cinema and like black representation in horror. So she's an author I want to get around to as well. Yeah. She's a great author. Um, definitely they had also like <laughs> slash was there <laughs> um, Wait, but guns, also, and, guns and roses slash yeah just like people that were horror fans that were <laughs> wow <laughs> which i think is really interesting there's a lot of like documentary series that my husband and i watch and they'll be talking about something and then it'll cut to like sean p diddy combs and i'm like what <laughs> but okay <laughs> sure um yeah, also like Tony Todd and, and Jordan Peele just really talking about their inspirations and like the effect that certain movies had on them and what was happening at the time in cinema and what the reception was or like how that movie changed them personally. So it was fun. It was a good it was a good series. I recommend it. So that currently is on Shudder. Uh, that is Eli Roth's History of Horror. Tony Todd is on my bucket list for people I need to meet before I pass away. <laughs> he does it's, go he does do like cons and stuff right yeah but not in newfoundland that's true <laughs> Maybe. tony todd come to newfoundland please do you guys have yeah. a horror con there uh someone actually started one this past year like last last summer was the first nl well, newfoundland horror con uh-huh. um hopefully it gets big enough and we get some cool guests that'd be great my chilling obsession as we know i like to try and stay on brand um so we're talking about Asylum Horror this week. So I want to talk about some Asylum Horror in my Chilling Obsession. And I'm going to talk about my favorite Asylum Horror movie, Grave Encounters. Actually, it's a well, series now because there's a sequel, Grave Encounters 2. But Grave Encounters is one of my favorite horror movies that I've seen like in recent times. Like contemporary horror movies. Um, it is a found footage film, which is... Uh, a slight against it for the most part but it works really well i like found footage but go on really (laughs) yes oh wow okay found footage is (laughs) is a lot of the times what people do when they just again they don't have a budget they don't have you know they don't know how to do good cinematography so let's do shaky cam but not with grave encounters grave encounters is about a team basically they're filming one of those let's go to a haunted place and you know, paranormal investigator kind of reality shows. Um, in, in fact, in some of the, in early on, you see him like in, they show a lot of the B-roll and it's, you see the host going to a guy cleaning the uh, weeds or cleaning the exterior. Um, they interview him and he's like, so have you heard of anything weird going on here? And he's like, no, no, not really. 
And then it cuts to the host giving him like some money and then a recut of him. Yeah, yeah, I heard this and I seen this woman do this. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the premise of it is that all this footage, kind of like the way that Blair Witch was set up, all the footage was recovered from this episode recording of the, what they did. So that's why you're getting a lot of the B-roll as well. It was quote unquote not edited. Um and yeah, so like they go to this asylum, and they're they're doing this episode where they're investigating, but none of them are actually believers. They're just trying to get some good footage, and you know this will make us a lot of money, kind of thing. But then, as you would expect in a horror movie, real stuff starts happening. The acting for a horror for a relatively low budget Canadian horror film is actually really good. Go to Canada. I, I was afraid Rachel was going to come and track me down if I didn't mention at least something Canadian. <laughs> So, yeah, Grave Encounters is a Canadian horror movie. Um, and, yeah, like I said, uh, I go into found footage films with my nose in the air, and this one actually kind of delivered. I it, I still recommend it to people to this day. Um, the sequel brings the series into a real meta kind of mindset. Like, the, the opening to the sequel is a bunch of people doing YouTube reviews, YouTube video reviews of Grave Encounters, the first movie, thinking that it's a horror movie. And then it's about these people or this guy that actually goes to where they shot the film and hilarity ensues, obviously. So, yeah, if you're into Asylum Horror, you probably already know about it. But if not, definitely check out Grave Encounters. Of the third kind. (sighs) That was punishment. (laughs) For what? (laughs) Punishment. I was going to try to sneak it in and be like, and the third one is called... (laughs) I wish there was a third Come on, one. it's a it's such a good opportunity. I know. If they decide to expand the franchise. But yeah, like I said, I really don't like found footage films. I I don't I, a lot of the time not to be negative, but I think they're when they're done poorly, they're really like the lazy man's way of doing a film. The good ones are really good. Quarantine slash wreck is great. Grave Encounters is great. Even Blair Witch, going back, I can tolerate. But um yeah, this one was great. <laughs> Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. We are on Patreon as Books in the Freezer. We have like a $1, a $3, and a $5 level. For $1, you can listen to the episodes on Sunday instead of Tuesday when they are released. We let you know what the next topic is a week before the episode is released. So it's a little bit of early access. At the $3 level, we have a Voxer chat you can be a part of with other Patreon supporters. And Rachel, our ex-co-host, still lives there. She pops in from time to time to let us know how she's doing, what she's watching, what she's reading. Um, We have some good conversations there. It's just a, a fun group. Um, And at the $3 level, you get access to the Books in the Freezer book club live shows for the $5 level, which we call the Malevolent Spirit. You get all of those things I talked about. You get all the early access to everything and you get the Voxer chat. You get the live show. You also get to vote on Books in the Freezer book club picks because Devin and I, you know, we take turns kind of who picks what, but then Every third month is Patreon pick. So if you're in the $5 peer, you can add your two cents into what you think the group should read and talk about. And also, you do get some bonus content. Devin and I recently had a conversation about the 
recent Stoker Award nominees. Yep. And we broke down uh, a bunch of the categories that we're relatively excited about and gave our, our two cents and our predictions. Yeah. On we what's we may have made win. some wagers. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be live for the patrons uh, shortly. So yeah, Malevolent Spirits, keep your eyes open for that. That'll be dropped into the Patreon feed. Um, but anyway, you don't have to. <laughs> um, if you want a free way to support the podcast, a feedback and reviews are always welcome. I am not going to pretend to understand how algorithms work, but I do know that if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, it raises our visibility and makes it easier for us to chart and more people can find us and also words are my love language so if you want to go say nice things about me i will always appreciate it because that is how i am actually there's a five-star review right here that we can read and it is from natalie r ellis one two three she says i love books in the freezer i just started this podcast this week and i love it i listen to it in the car while cleaning and i love all of your book recommendations keep up the great work thank you natalie thank you we would really love it if you would take time out of your day to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, preferably five stars, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. So anyway. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, and although, yes, uh, you need to be a $5 patron or above to vote uh, on our book club picks or um, a $3 patron to get in on the live show, all of you are welcome to come to our Goodreads page for Books in the Freezer. Uh, that's where the conversation happens for our book club. Uh, currently, as we mentioned before, we're reading Walkers by Graham Masterson, um, and there is already conversations going on over there that is free of charge. Uh, just want to hang out with the community, come have a chat with us, and uh, we can see you over there as well. Yeah, we would love to see you there. It's broken up into sections by little chapter chunks, and people drop their two cents when they finish and i really love it i love hearing what everyone is thinking about stuff while they're reading it and yeah definitely go check it out we will leave the link to that in the show notes as well where you can come join our book club group on goodreads i'm stephanie you can find me on twitter at lady underscore ganya that's l-a-d-y-g-a-g-n-o-n that is a lady gaga reference thank you for asking you can find me on instagram at that's what she read but that's with two a's because that's what she read was already taken and on youtube as that's what she read i never realized it was a lady gaga <laughs> most people don't so that's why i'm just <laughs> Ooh, okay um and i'm devin you can find me on twitter at insomnia reads and i'm also a streamer on twitch uh under indie insomniac and join us next time for books in the freezer <laughs> <laughs>